sex is fun. You know, it's great when you have that connection and, and the love that goes along with it, but just raw animal sex is fucking hot. And who wouldn't want to do that all day, every day? My sex life has always been like trial and error. You know, like you, you try something, do you like it, yes or no, and uh, then you move on from there. For me, bad sex is when you allowed something to happen when you should have said no. First you have the sex, and then you have the sex you want. Hi, welcome back. I'm Philip Banks, and I'm your host for the Audio Sex Party. I'm so glad you've joined us. As we all know by now, gay guys love talking about sex. Big surprise. It's a rich subject. And when we get to talking about our sex lives, it can go in all sorts of directions. I know this, because together with some friends, I hosted three audio sex parties, where a few dozen guys shared intimate details about the sex they have and the sex they want. We wanted you to be part of the conversation, so we pulled together ten themes, and we've woven them into our first season. On the last episode of the podcast, we heard pause guys talk about hooking up with HIV. And on this episode, we'll listen to guys talk about party and play, or P&P. So come on in and join the party. The one campaign that always stands out to me. I saw it on this t-shirt once. I fuck raw, I party, and I'm I'm positive, and I'm healthy. And I thought that was so fucking cool because not a lot of people say or accept the fact that you can do all of those at the same time. Right, because I can go out and have a good time. I can party. I can take care of myself. I can do all of it, and, and, and none of them have to be mutually ex, uh, exclusive. Right, and and I just thought it was so cool to see that coming from an organization and 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 being put out there in the world for anyone to read. I'm Ken Miller. Uh, I use the pronouns he, him. When I first got to the party, um, I guess one of the first things I noticed was that. People were a lot more relaxed than I thought they were going to be. It was a really cool atmosphere. It was generally this like really cool experience where uh, a few of us uh, gay guys got to get together around a table and talk about um, anything from why we got into the work we're doing to different more intimate, raw conversations around sex, what it means to us, what we appreciate, what we like to share with others. So the first time we went to Palm Springs, uh, that's when we kind of started experimenting with... Um, party and play and so we didn't really open that up to anyone else at the time it was more like when we got with one guy it was just like straight sober sex but like then we like met someone through craigslist obviously and like picked up some stuff and started experimenting just the two of us and ended up in bed for like two and a half days (laughs) By ourselves. By ourselves. And it was just like this really funny kind of experience where we're like, ah, this is kind of fun. Maybe we should do this again. Um, Yeah, I'm into chemsex or PNP because it's fun. This is Mikiki. We heard them on episode six of the podcast when they talked about living with HIV. This is the other thing, too. Is like, so people assume that there's like one drug, uh, which is the drug that, you know, people... um, are the most fearful of that is the only drug that people use for sex people use all kinds of drugs for sex whether it's like i'm gonna have a cup of coffee so i could stay awake um on the way home from the bar or even that we were at the bar period you know so this idea um that um chem sex or 
hooking up in, uh, in an altered state uh, is only illicit and or illegal substances uh, is a total misnomer. And I think if we could also just acknowledge that, um, that that's actually pretty uh, commonplace and that the idea of using alcohol as a social lubricant uh, and a disinhibitor is actually completely similar, if not an analog, to some of the other drugs and other reasons that people use drugs, like crystal methamphetamine, uh, because of its disinhibitor and social lubrication or social lubricant like appeal. But I think that the disinhibiting factors of uh, of including drugs or or substances in our sex lives. Uh, also allows us to connect to our desires in a way that uh, we may feel less residual shame or internalized homophobia around. This is not the first iteration of meth in the gay community. In the 80s, it was a big thing as well. But we actually mostly used it back then for just dancing. The go-to drug for sex back then was MDA, Met we used to stay up to dance all night. My name is Colin. I identify with the Black, Caribbean, and African community. I've been involved with Party and Play for a number of years now. This iteration of Met has, I think, has actually come... I think more and most of it is actually due to the way we now hook up with sex. We no longer go to bars. We don't have bars to go to anymore. So I think we've lost all of that social linkages uh, that we used to have in so many ways. I mean, the bars were our temples. They were where we went. We went to dance, went to communicate, went to meet, we went to socialize. With those gone, and this has impacted the ACB, African Black and Caribbean community, and many other marginalized communities in more ways than I think it's actually impacted the overall communities in that we actually used to meet at private parties, more so than the bars. So when AIDS, the AIDS epidemic hit, we lost the people who actually hosted those houses. So with that gone, the only methods now for socialization are the hookup sites. And, I mean, what do you do? You know, just call somebody and say, I want to go fuck? No, so you bring your drugs along. Okay, and I think that's the icebreaker in so many of these hookup situations. We have lost those social mechanisms that we used to have to socialize. We now socialize using apps, and the apps we have made it easier to use the apps by bringing along drugs. It used to, used to bring coke. Now you bring meth. This idea that somehow meth allows people to get through their inhibitions and find the true them, right, that was just waiting to, to, to burst out but was being held back by all of this stuff. I mean, I'm not sure that that's actually the case. This is Tim McCaskill. We heard him talk about HIV on episode six. If the true you is one that only comes out when you're really, really stoned, then maybe that isn't the true you, right? <laughs> maybe the true you is more like the person that wasn't stoned. Um, so why gay men want to use it? I mean, it's it's a rush, right? I mean, and I think that people, you know, want to experiment with, with different kinds of stuff. I think to a certain extent, the 
the, this war on drugs stuff that said all drugs are the same and they're all bad uh, has led to a situation where people can't distinguish it. I think it's important that we start to do real work around the kind of dangers that meth um, poses for our community. Like, I am not against drugs and sex in any way, right? I mean, heavens, I've been smoking weed since I was 17 or something, right? Uh, and, you know, I've tried all the drugs that came and went over, over the years, right? But uh, I began to really notice probably maybe 10 years ago that something was happening and that this new drug was in town and it was affecting people in a really different way. Um, and then I began to come across friends of mine who were getting just like really fucked up with this stuff, right? Who were, who had started to use, thought it was just like another recreational drug. And the next thing they know, they're in real trouble. They're losing their jobs. They're losing their homes. They're losing their friends, their family. Uh, and they, you know, are really, really in bad shape. And, uh, many of them trying very hard to get off of it, but just, it's really, really hard. My connection with PNP to my sex and sexuality is it's just a way of like not worrying about anything while I'm having sex because that's very hard for me to do um, especially in trying to navigate like gay sex and a gay community when you're not a cis gay man um, Okay, so my name is Bren and uh, I most identify with probably the trans-masculine community and also the gay community in Toronto. Well, at least for me, there's a lot of uh, trying to feel like I'm fitting in properly and uh, trying to kind of fit whatever role I feel like I need to be fitting. And um, so doing, doing some type of drug, uh, it hasn't been meth for me, but uh, another type of drug would be just kind of taking my mind off of that and it will take kind of my worries out of my body and I can just enjoy physical sensations more. You need to be the person who goes to the bathhouse, uh, first of all, in a particular state of mind because, you know, most people are, like, injecting, you know, whatever... Uh, Meth because they don't allow us to smoke weed, which is completely ridiculous. No, but Francisco, most most people are not injecting meth. No, no. Oh, oh the people I was with were injecting meth. <laughs> Sorry. So, 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 I be started to become increasingly concerned that the people, you know, the aid service organizations, the people who are most in touch with uh, kind of gay men's health, seem to be not talking about this in this day and age of you know gay marriage and whatever. There's a real reluctance to talk about um, problems in the community because that might give us, you know, a bad rep, right? It might reconfirm the stereotypes about all gay men being these horny sluts that, that are irresponsible, yada, yada, yada. So I think that's part of it, kind of general. Um, I think among the AIDS service organizations who I hold largely responsible um, for not doing what they need to be doing, uh, there's a worry about, um, in their words, stigmatizing meth use. If you tell somebody this is dangerous, uh, does that stigmatize people who are using? Uh, 
And does that make them feel worse? Um, I don't know if that completely follows. In fact, what I have noticed that seems to be even more stigmatizing is when people, I've seen people stand up in public, public meetings and say, you know, I use meth and I'm one of these people that have no problem with it and it's not affecting my life and da-da-da-da-da. Um, and if you use these simple harm reduction techniques, everything's going to be fine. And then I think, well, you know, my friend who's sitting back there, who's like lost everything, right? What message is that giving it to him? He's saying, it's, you know, it's your fault, <laughs> right? That you've gone down the tubes, right? If you're just, you know, strong and together like me, meth is no problem. Well, you know, I think the drug is a problem. Certainly any drug affects people in different ways, depending on Know, physiology, you know, your social situation, all of those kinds of things, right? But this is a very, very powerful and very, very addictive drug. And it, um, you know, people really need to think twice before they start to play with it. But the, the one thing I want to say is um, the gay community is very discriminatory. Um, my heart sinks every time I see on an app someone's profile, no fats, no femmes, no Asians, or no coloreds. What the fuck? Um, to say nothing of HIV stigma, are you clean? Well, yes, I got up and showered this morning. Um, but that's how we are as a community. Uh, when it comes to PMP, if you're managing it well, if you're enjoying it, it is nothing to be ashamed of. Hi, my name is Guy. I'm identified with the gay community and with the HIV community. I've been living with HIV for over 30 years. I used crystal meth for about 8 to 10 years. At the end of that, I went through a period of harm reduction, and I've been abstinent for 18 months. Our community is riddled with stigma, unfortunately, and um, it, it's multifaceted. I don't know how we overcome that, quite honestly, but... Um, but turn your backs on it and, and look forward and don't give in to the shame. When I was PMPing, I had some wild and wonderful and memorable times that will always be with me, and I thoroughly enjoyed them, and I have no regrets, and I have no shame. I definitely know people that have a casual relationship with Crystal, and they don't talk about it because it's so stigmatized. Uh, which means that the only relationship that people see with Crystal is a problematic or chaotic relationship. It's really hard to um, have a measured argument with someone who doesn't know anybody that has a kind of casual or measured relationship with that drug in particular when they get to see all of the stigma and they get to see all of the pain and havoc and chaos that it can create when people have a problematic relationship with it or chaotic relationship with it. I don't, however, think that it is about one specific drug. I think that it's about what are the things that set us up and make us vulnerable to having um, problems with drug use. And I don't think that's because this drug came out of nowhere and, you know, blew us on our ass. I think that being raised to be straight as a queer person um, in a homophobic and heterosexist society is a form of psychic trauma. Uh, that we are, uh, we're permitted to be gay 
and or lesbian uh, by mainstream heterosexual society, um, but we're not permitted to be sexual. We are invited to participate in a straight version of community. Um, and for those of us that um, uh, think sex is important or maybe have desires that um, are not um, co cookie cutter or not mainstream, or maybe we even just have some hangups about anal sex just in general, because that's also linked to this pathologized, um, you know, like it's not too f long since the um, AIDS crisis kind of first hit and the first wave of seraphobia um, was essentially like anti-gay sex um, propaganda and equating, um, you know, like a retributive punishment of a virus and death with our sexual activity. So no surprise that some of us might have some walls built up around actually manifesting the sexualities that we desire and that make us whole as people. So I'm not saying that it's like we're all traumatized and therefore we use crystal meth to get over it, but I'm saying maybe that's like, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's a part of that. And some of us maybe have worked through that in ways that um, we found, you know, like alcohol works well, or some of us have found that talk therapy works well, or some of us found a partner who's just willing to put up with our bullshit for a while. <laughs> you know, I think that there's lots of ways that we work through it. And uh, when there is, um, you know, like, some, like for some people it, it um, has become like a really, uh, or had become like a really necessary thing for them to access their sexuality. And that's one of the, the ways that we see um, some folks um, like identifying that it's a problem is, is not being able to engage sexually without it. So, all that to say, I don't think the drug is the problem. I think heterosexuality is the problem. Thanks for joining the Audio Sex Party. On this episode, you heard... Ken Miller, Makiki, Colin, Tim McCaskill, Bren, Guy. But we heard lots of other voices too, and we want to thank them for coming to the party and sharing their stories. Join us next time. We'll hear guys talk about daddies and age gap relationships. For more information about Party and Play, check out the Gay Men's Sexual Health Alliance's PNP campaign, Party and Play Your Way. And stay tuned for more podcast episodes about PNP coming up in the future. I get the sex I want is um, through a stringent um, curation of uh, filters in uh, online applications. And uh, the way I get the sex I want is by asking for it directly. And uh, the way I get the sex I want is by being open 
and uh, responsive and uh, considerate to my partner's needs and desires and wishes.